It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. What's up, everybody? Welcome to episode 498 of the Talking Friars podcast and YouTube show. Ben Fadden with you here. It is October. 23rd 2023 and we just finished a pretty bad San Diego sports weekend a club folded finished their club San Diego loyal they get knocked out first round of the playoffs San Diego State gets shut out by one of the worst teams in the country a team that hadn't won a game since the beginning of last season and the San Diego Padres see their current manager go talk to the San Francisco Giants very fun to be a San Diego sports fan right now, huh? Hey, at least we have San Diego Wave coming up in a couple weeks. That's going to be really fun. Uh, but obviously, this is a Padres, main, mainly Padres-based show. I'm going to get into the other San Diego sports topics at the end of the show. Uh, but for now, the main theme of this show, who the next Padres manager could be. And then I'll get into some player reviews because I'm going to continue doing those. This news came in the middle of me doing the season reviews, so I got to keep getting those done, get through those. So today we got the catching position. Austin Nola, yes, remember him. Gary Sanchez, Luis Camposano, Brett Sullivan. We're going to go through those, but that is after talking about who could replace Bob Melvin as the Padres 2024 manager. Uh, Because Bob Melvin, he's talking to the San Francisco Giants. He's going to go be the manager of the Giants. If he's not, 
he's not coming back to the San Diego Padres, right? The Padres would just have to eat the contract because the Padres said, okay, yeah, go ahead. Go interview with the Giants. It's okay if you leave. And then Bob Melvin is saying, I don't want to be here because he's being okay with going and talking with the Giants. So he's not coming back. So who is going to replace Bob Melvin? I would prefer it to be someone that has managerial experience for this team, where it's at right now. They should be trying to go win in 2024. Are they a World Series team right now? No, I cannot sit there and say that. When you don't know who the manager is going to be, Blake Snell's leaving, Josh Hader's leaving, maybe Juan Soto's going to get traded. You didn't make the playoffs this past season. Guys aren't getting any younger. The Dodgers are going to get better. The Giants are going to get better. The D-backs, they're still in the NLCS right now. Like I can't sit here and say that the Padres are a World Series team, but I hope that that's what their aspirations are going to be in 2024. So I want someone that is experienced. And I think Mike Schilt is that guy. I don't think the Padres are going to bring in an external guy to be the manager of the team. I don't see someone like Buck Showalter or Joe, or Joe Madden coming in managing the Padres. People like that, they're like Bob Melvin. They want to do it how they want to do it. And we know that doesn't work when A.J. Preller's running the show. And A.J. Preller is still running the show. He continues to get chance after chance after chance to continue to run this show, even though it seems like 2022, that's more of an outlier. The long postseason run to the NLCS, that's more of an outlier in A.J. Preller's tenure. He will be hiring his, what, fourth manager? It's more than that because there's been interim managers. There was Pat Murphy. There was Rod Barajas. There was Dave Roberts for, like, a game, right? There, there was other guys, but uh, he had Bud Black, but it wasn't his guy when he first came in uh, before the 2015 season, right? But this would be, like, his fourth real manager that he's hiring. Usually, general managers don't make it to four to their fourth opportunity. Sometimes it's because they don't fire three guys or have three guys leave the organization either by firing or because that guy can't work with you anymore because of how much a headache you are to him trying to do his job. Uh, usually, if, if you're firing people, you probably get one managerial fire, one firing, then you get one more person, and if that doesn't work out, then you're probably gone. Because if you're firing two managers, then the performance on the field at the big league level is probably not doing so well. So that means that the owner is probably like, okay, we need, we need a change here. This can't keep happening. And they make a change. But Peter Seidler's different. I, I love that he has trust in people that he hires, like especially the big people, like Eric Gruppner's been here a long time. And even though he wasn't like the head owner when Gruppner started here, I understand that. But like he trusts the people that he puts in place. I love that. I want to work somewhere where that person that hires me definitely trusts me to do my job. And he's going to keep giving me chances because he trusts in me. But I think Peter Seidler has taken this too far with AJ Preller. How many more chances is this guy going to get? You can make the argument, and I made it the other day when this news came down about Bob Melvin going and talking with the San Francisco Giants. I made the argument, 
AJ Preller probably shouldn't have even gotten this opportunity to bring in Bob Melvin before the 2022 season. He should have been gone after Jay Stingler. You get two managers. You wanted to go the no experience route with Andy Green. How'd that work out? Okay, rebuild. We'll give you another shot. Jay Stingler, you wanted to hire him when you had Ron Washington on your doorstep. How'd that work out? He shouldn't have even been allowed to hire Bob Melvin. But Peter Seidler trusted him, and that trust in A.J. Preller ended up working out temporarily in terms of results, right? Because Bob Melvin ended up being, I think, the right guy, and it was out-of-the-box hiring, and congratulations to A.J. Preller on making that move. But then the relationship was deteriorating. They didn't agree. They weren't talking very much. And A.J. Preller is going to describe this thing as a friendship, and they talk four or five times a day. That's, uh, that's not what it seems like. Everything is not fine, or else you would have offered Bob Millman an extension so he's not on a lame duck year. Like, you could have controlled him staying with the Padres, or you don't allow him to go interview with the Giants. And Bob Millman doesn't have the itch to go interview with the Giants because the relationship's good with A.J., and he likes it. But no, that's not the case. So clearly something was wrong. We know that. For all those people, by the way, for all of those people that were trying to bash Kevin AC and didn't believe some of the reports coming out, Dennis Lynn and Ken Rosenthal, about the unfixable relationship and how bad it was, I think you owe an apology to these writers. You think that, the, and I said this, I think, at the time, you think that these writers were going to put that information out, knowing that they have to go into that clubhouse every day with those players. They have to go into Peco Park every day and talk to people like A.J. Preller when he's on the field and engage with people in that front office and the PR staff. You think they're going to put that out there without actually believing and trusting the people that they're talking to and actually having real reporting? So I think it was just kind of like jokes on you if you actually chose to not believe what was being written there. You don't have to believe everything, but when multiple reporters are reporting the same things, like they're not getting along well, it's not great. Sorry, I'm going to believe the reporters. I just am. They're not just going to make up stuff when it's like that. And I don't think they make up stuff. They're just told stuff and they report it. And sometimes those people that tell them that, maybe they had an agenda. And so the reporters look like they're stupid and they're wrong, but they're just being... They're just reporting what they were told, and it's their judgment if they would trust the source, trust sources, right? They probably talked to more than just one person. I mean, it was written in those articles that they talked to many people there, and it took months and months and months of reporting on this. It's not like, it's not like they spent a day at Petco Park, got quotes, and then put all this out there. It took time. It was real, and we're seeing that it was real. So now we move on. Who is going to be the next manager of this team? Again, Bob Nolan. He's not going to be coming back. The Athletic, Dennis Lynn, and I believe Britt Giroli, who is one of the main writers, baseball writers for The Athletic, they put together some names, some candidates to replace Bob Melvin as Padres manager. The first one is Ryan Flaherty. His current role with the Padres is bench coach, the real bench coach was Ryan Christensen, but he's probably going to leave with Bob Melvin to San Francisco. But technically, Ryan Flaherty was the bench coach. If you went to the Padres front office directory and you like looked at the coaching staff titles, Ryan Flaherty was offensive coordinator slash bench coach. 
associate manager was Ryan Christensen. And it says here, Flaherty is widely viewed as the leading candidate to replace Melvin as he's well thought of in the organization and is believed to have a strong working relationship with Preller. In 2022, when Flaherty was still the team's quality control coach, whatever that means, uh, the Padres denied him an, an interview for the New York Mets bench job. Like, they, they value Ryan Flaherty. A.J. Preller, he probably thought back then that, yeah, this guy is going to be a future manager of this team. I don't want him going anywhere, especially to a team that we're trying to go beat at some point here, uh, probably in the postseason, which ended up being the case later in 2022. So Flaherty, he's 37, so he would be obviously another young manager. How'd the first two work out? Not so great. Not saying that if Ryan Flaherty is hired as the manager, we have to give Ryan Flaherty a shot. I'm going to say I don't think it was the right move, but I'm not going to say Ryan Flaherty, he has no shot to succeed. Of course he will. I'm going to give it a shot because, I mean, we have no we have no other option. We have to. Right? They, the Padres make the decisions, and we react as fans. Right? I, I think that Mike Schultz is the better option, and you could keep Ryan Flaherty as his bench coach, you can keep him on the staff if you value him so much and he's willing to stay under Mike Schilt. But where this team is at right now, I think Mike, Mike Schilt is the better option over Ryan Flaherty. Now, there are some cases, like you look at the Nationals in 2019 with Davey Martinez. I think he was a pretty young manager or didn't have very many years of experience so far. Um, and he ended up going and winning the World Series. It can happen. A.J. Hinch, I think he was pretty a pretty young manager it wasn't his first year with the Astros that they went and won the World Series but he was a pretty young manager how many years was Alex Cora the manager of the Red Sox before he won the World Series in 2018 with that like it's possible Ryan Flaherty could be a success and it seems like he knows what he's talking about he's a seems like he's a pretty bright guy but I would rather go with the the safe option or the safer option, and in my opinion, that's Mike Schilt, who is the next candidate that is listed here in The Athletic. His current role is Padres' senior advisor, but he's more than that. He was in the dugout pretty much on a daily basis at, uh, you know later on in the season. Um, Schilt joined the Padres, it says here, last year in a role in which he eventually became a daily presence with the big league club. He has made it no secret he wants to manage again and should get a strong look, although Flaherty is viewed as the leading internal candidate. And I think Flaherty is viewed as the leading internal candidate because of his relationship with AJ. Like, AJ brought in Flaherty. He kept Flaherty from man from uh, interviewing with that Mets with the Mets for their bench coach job under Buck Showalter. So, like, that's probably why. Um, Schilt has experience having previously managed the Cardinals from 2018 to 2021 including winning NL Manager of the Year in 2019. And every every full season, as I was looking back on yesterday, in my reaction show to Bob Melvin, the news coming out that Bob Melvin got permission from the Padres to go talk with the Giants, in that show, I mentioned how in every full season that Schilt was the manager of the Cardinals, they made it to the postseason. Sometimes they got knocked out, they got knocked out in the wildcard series, like 2020 to the Padres. Sometimes they made it to the NLCS. But that's more consistent success than A.J. Preller has ever had. 
with a manager in the San Diego Padres organization. Bob Melvin included, because obviously Bob Melvin was only here for two seasons, NLCS, but then didn't even make the playoffs this past season. So I think those are the two likeliest candidates. I mean, right now, where they're at, I don't see A.J. Preller having this long interview process. I think they want to have that manager in by maybe even the end of the World Series so they can just worry about the roster for the offseason. And Preller is familiar with Schilt. He's familiar with Flaherty. And pick the right guy. I think I think Preller would probably rather have Flaherty, but I think the right move is Schilt. And I think that way you could have, he likes both, I think that way you could keep Schilt and Flaherty on the staff. If Flaherty's the manager, maybe Schilt is okay with being the bench coach and it's an elevated role than what he had with the Padres. And he could wait it out maybe for another possible managing job or because there's always managing jobs that will be open every off season. There's something open. So, I mean, maybe he's expressed interest in a Cleveland guardians managing job or the Mets job, who knows, but who knows if those teams are interested in Mike Schilt, right? So Mike Schilt, he might just feel like, Hey, even if Ryan Flaherty is hired as the manager, I mean, they're giving me a, a, a spot in the big leagues on a coaching staff. That's not guaranteed if I go somewhere else or, say, I don't want to do this and try to go somewhere else. That's not guaranteed. So maybe Schilt does stay and they have Flaherty be the manager and Schilt can help guide him along as the bench coach. But Schilt wants to manage again. Says right here, he has made it no secret. He wants to manage again and should get a strong look. I would go with Schilt. I think that's the safer move. If it doesn't work out, you can have Brian Flaherty be the manager. But I think... When you're now, did this really work in 2023? When when you go to the respect thing, the players, Bob Melvin gets immediate respect, right? When he walks into that room, that's what's really important. It worked in 2022. So did Bob Melvin just forget how to manage, forget how to inspire, get respect from players in 2023? I don't think so. I think a lot of it was players underperforming, and I think some of it was the relationship with Preller deteriorating and them not agreeing on some certain some things with roster construction and that didn't set up Bob Melvin to succeed as much as he would have been set up to succeed if they were actually on the same page with how to make a roster right so that's obviously important like I might not like Ryan Flaherty to be the manager over Mike Schilt but at least a positive is if Preller continues to run the show and all signs point to him continuing to run the show. The good thing would be is, well, Flaherty and Preller, we know that they're going to be on the same page, at least from the start. We said that same thing about Tingler and Preller when that happened. And then at the end of the, the tenure, it didn't seem like Tingler and Preller were so close anymore, right? Like losing uh, that, losing a clubhouse as well. Like, that can affect things, obviously. And when it, you know, a friendship, when it goes into the workplace, some things can change. Um, so that could change his relationship with Ryan Flaherty. But at least from the beginning, if Flaherty is hired, we'll know they're on the same page. And if Schilt's hired, maybe we won't know. But I would think that they're going to be on the same page. And now this is a low bar, but they'd be on the same page more than Preller and Melvin were. Um, all right, here are 
some of the outside candidates that are listed in this article from The Athletic. Joe Espada, the Astros bench coach. It feels like he might just try to be waiting for the Astros manager job when Dusty Baker is done. But he's been there for a long time. And he's got a lot of interviews, countless jobs. He's interviewed for countless manager jobs, but has come up short. So maybe the Padres should be like, hmm, why did all these teams pass on Joe Espada? And, and maybe take that clue and not hire Joe Espada. Maybe they talk to him, but I don't, I don't see Joe Espada coming. Especially when he's, ha- he's having all that success as a coach with the Astros. I know he wants to manage at some point, but if you're continuously getting that postseason success, Dusty Baker, how much longer is he going to be doing this? you might want to hold on and see if you can get that Astros managing job. Or he just likes it with the Astros. He's getting, he's probably getting paid a good amount of money and he's having success. So why maybe he doesn't want, I mean, he does want a manager job because he's interviewed for a lot of them. So yeah, um, I think maybe this should be a sign for the Padres, just like it should have been a sign for the Padres with the giants. Like the giants, they had a writer in The Athletic, I think it was, a respected writer, Tim Kawakami, I think is his name. Hopefully I didn't botch it. He was writing before Bob Melvin was uh, saying that he was going to go, he wanted to go talk with the Giants and was granted approval by the Padres. Before all this happened, I think it was during the Padres season, still, during the season. And this was, I think, before Gabe Kapler was even fired. This guy was writing like Bob Melvin's the right guy for the Giants over Gabe Kapler. Again, when Kapler was still with the Giants. That should have been a sign for the Padres like, don't let him go to the Giants. We have the right guy. Let's figure this thing out. And instead, look what has happened. But I think this Joe Espada thing, I'm just curious. Why have teams, why have so many teams decided to pass on Joe Espada? Is it just the situation that there was, well, like, no, duh, we're going to go with Bruce Bochy. I don't know. I forget if, a, I don't know if a Spada interviewed for the Rangers job, but I'm just saying, like, if Bochy's being, if Bochy's out there, then yeah, of course you're going with Bochy. For the Mets with uh, Buck Showalter, maybe they're like, yeah, we're going to go with Buck over Joe Espada. We don't know if Espada's going to work. Buck knows what he's talking about. He's a, a veteran manager. Dusty Baker, yeah, we're going to go with him. We have the opportunity to bring him in instead of, instead of elevating Joe Espada. We'll bring Dusty Baker in it, and we can keep Joe Espada. Sometimes, situationally, it's the slam dunk hire. But there, there's got to be a reason that we don't know of that some some teams, maybe it's like Skip Schumacher and like Skip admitted when he, I think, talked with the Mets before he ended up managing the, uh, the Marlins, he admitted that, yeah, he just wasn't ready at that time. And I think Mark DeRosa has mentioned that when he was talking with the Mets in years past, I think that was before they hired Mickey Calloway. He talked about how, yeah, I just, I, I, it was clear I wasn't ready yet. Maybe that's the case with Joe Espada. Um, that's one candidate. Don Mattingly is another guy, and that's obviously a guy that Padre fans know from the name. Obviously, you know, older fans know of him from playing with the Yankees. He's now with the Toronto Blue Jays, Blue Jays bench coach. Padre fans know him as a guy that used to manage for the Dodgers, used to manage for the Marlins. So he has that managing experience. But with Don Mattingly, 
he never won a World Series. He had a lot of talented Dodger teams. Never ended up getting over that hump. Did he even go to the World Series ever with the Dodgers? No. I don't think so. Right? That that was all Dave, that's all been Dave Roberts, right? Unless maybe I'm forgetting a season, but I don't think he ever did. And with the Marlins, it ended up just not working. Or maybe he stepped away. I don't think it was going to work either way. So I think there's there's those flags there. Like if he couldn't get the Dodgers over the hump, then how is he going to get this Padres team over the hump? I probably would like him more than Ryan Flaherty, and you could keep Ryan Flaherty on the staff if you really love Ryan Flaherty. I would rather go with the guy that has experience, but I'd probably rather go with Mike Schilt over Don Mattingly. So like if we're making a list here, I think it's Schilt over Mattingly right now. Um, I think Schilt, he's more familiar with this Padres organization. We don't know if Don Mattingly will be in sync with A.J. Preller, and I think since Preller's going to continue to run this show, it's going to be important for whoever comes in to be this manager, be in the same, be thinking the same as A.J. Preller, be connected with A.J. Preller, not butting heads all the time, not talking, be in sync, you know, good chemistry. I don't think Preller should be continuing to do this job, but the facts are the facts. He's going to continue to do this job. So I want someone that likes him, that they have a good relationship. Because you don't want another manager coming in here who doesn't like A.J. Preller. How is that going to work out? That's going to work out differently than Bob Melvin did? Another guy listed here, former Padre Will Venable. Now, this was before A.J. Preller came in. They did not overlap. So that's important to note. Will Venable is the Rangers' associate manager to Bruce Bochy. And Venable previously played for the Padres as well as the Rangers and Dodgers, was previously a coach for the Cubs and Red Sox, I believe. Uh, Venable declined to interview for the Mets' open job, saying he likes his current gig with the Rangers. It's unclear if he'd be interested in interviewing in San Diego. I hope he would because he played for the Padres. but. I think it feels to me that he is just waiting for Bochi to be done with the Rangers. Not like in a bad way, like, Bochi, I want you fired so I can take over. Like, whenever Bochi is ready to go, he is totally fine with learning from Bochi right now and obviously is having success. Uh, there, there's a Game 7 tonight. Can't wait for that. They're having success. They're one win away from the World Series in the first year with the Texas Rangers. He's probably happy there. Does he does does he think he's ready for a manager job? Or is he just waiting for a Rangers job? Maybe. And maybe he has a good relationship with Chris Young, who is running things there with the Texas Rangers. So I don't I would not put Will Venable right now in that group of potential Padres candidates. It's listed here, but I'm not putting him in that group. Nick Hunley, I would put more in that group. He's also with the Texas Rangers. But I think he's a, an assistant right now. Yeah, Rangers, Rangers special assistant. Um, Nick Hunley, he turned down the opportunity to interview for a managerial position already with the Giants. He lives in San Diego, though. Former Padre. Plenty of years of experience in that Padres organization. Also, I believe, before Preller took over, right? He, went, he, was, he was gone before Preller took over, right? I'm going to double check that. I'm pretty sure he was gone 
to the Giants, right? Before. Oh, no, he played for Baltimore. That's right. Yeah, he was gone. He was gone in 2014 to Baltimore. And then was, was with Colorado for a couple years, then the Giants for a couple years, and then finished off with Oakland for a little bit there. Nick Hundley, I would put ahead of Will Venable in terms of like actually possible candidates to manage his team. But I'm not so sure that Nick Hundley, like if he denied the Giants job, was maybe he knows something that we don't. And he was waiting for the Padres to give him a call because he wants the Padres job. And he, he lives in San Diego. That's the only job he would be interested in interviewing for. Who knows? But I feel like he's someone that would want to be in the dugout first. All right, I can't really say that because I don't, I don't know Nick Huntley. Um, I can't, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to say I feel like he's someone that I'm just going to say if I was him, I would probably want to be in the dugout for at least a season as a coach an assistant like Will Venables doing right now with the Rangers before I just jumped in and was the manager of the Padres with all this star talent in the clubhouse and having to deal with that and having to deal with AJ Preller and all that. And uh, yeah, I'm not, I wouldn't be with Nick Hundley. I'll say this. I wouldn't be shocked if the Padres talked to him and he's open to having an interview. If you can just talk with the Padres and then after that say, I'm pulling myself out of the interview process. Like I'm I'm taking my name out. Thanks, but no thanks. He could do that. And that gives him experience in what a managerial interview looks like. The Padres could do that as well and be like, hey, we want to bring you in. Um, former Padre, we think you're a bright mind. We just want to talk to you. We don't know if we you're you're not maybe they'll tell him you're not at the top of the list, or we already have a name in mind, but we want to help you out by giving you experience in the managerial process. Maybe the Padres want to do that. Um, I don't think Hundley's going to be the manager, but in the in terms of the names that are put here, I think Hundley is more likely. I think he'd be open to it. Lives in San Diego. I think he'd be more likely to be the manager of the Padres than Will Venable. And that's not because Hundley is like better qualified. Venable's the one that's in the dugout right now with Bruce Bochy as his right-hand man. But I think Venable, is he's good with the Texas Rangers. Where Hundley, I'm not saying he's not good with the Rangers, but he does have more of that San Diego connection right now. And I, I, I just think he's, he, he's more of a fit right now. Where, based on where both of these guys are, with the Texas Rangers, their positions, all that. If we didn't know that Venable declined an interview, I would probably put Venable ahead of Nick Hundley. So again, to recap, the candidates here, the potential replacements put here in this athletic article, Nick Hundley, Will Venable, Don Mattingly, Joe Espada, Mike Schilt, and Ryan Flaherty. It, I don't know if this was a ranking by the athletic, but they did put Flaherty first. They put Schilt second. Espada, Mattingly, Venable, and Hunley. It's not by alphabetical order or anything like that. So I don't know if this is just names that they thought of and they didn't care about the order, or should we care about the order? And this is like actually list. They would probably just put the number by the name. So maybe this is just potential candidates. It's not a list of like who's who should be the favorite. 
Um, but I think Flaherty for Preller would be the favorite over Schilt, but I think Schilt would be the right guy to be the manager. And as for these outside candidates, I'm not putting much t- too much stock into Espada, Mattingly, or Venable. Really, Nick Hundley is the only guy here that sticks out to me. But I, I think it's going to be between Flaherty or Schilt. They're going to go with one of those two, maybe try to keep both of them on the staff and have one of them be the manager. And if you're going to have one be the manager and both are okay with being on the staff, I think you have Mike Schilt be the manager over Ryan Flaherty. I think that will go over better among the fan base than them just bringing in or promoting Ryan Flaherty to be the manager. I think it would go over well, go over better with the fan base. But it's clear the Padres, some people in the Padres organization don't care what the fan base thinks of them. (laughs) They don't care if they lie to the fan base. They don't care. They're going to do whatever they want. And I understand that. Like, you got to go with what you think, like when your job's on the line. And it doesn't even seem like Preller's job's on the line. But if you think your job's on the line, don't go with what other people think. Go with what you think. Because at least if if you're gone, you get canned. You can say, hey, I went with what I thought was best. And I went down with myself rather than going down because I made a move that I didn't really want to do. I made a move that I thought that would appease the fan base. You don't want to do that. So it's going to be Preller. It feels like it's really going to be Preller's decision here. And I don't know. With Preller, I'd probably lean towards him going with going the Ryan Flaherty route. But again, Mike Schilt, I think that is the right guy. All right. Getting to the Dennis Lynn article that he put out today. Why? allowing Bob Melvin to interview with the Giants makes sense for the Padres. I'll get to that after this break. Check out Gaglione Bros' famous cheesesteaks and garlic fries on Friars Road. You can visit their website, gaglionebros.com, for their entire menu and enjoy their cheesesteaks and fries at Petco Park and Snapdragon Stadium as well. All right, Dennis Lynn, he put out an article about why allowing Bob Melvin to interview with the Giants makes sense for the Padres. And it makes sense for A.J. Preller, and he talked about this in this piece, because Preller, I mean, they were waiting. I mean, it says it here at the end of this article. In the last few weeks, seemingly little has changed. Despite Preller's pronouncements to the contrary, team officials said there continued to be only sporadic communication between Preller and Melvin. Meanwhile, there has been little clarity regarding the composition of next year's coaching staff. At least one explanation has surfaced. The Preller-led Padres were waiting for the Giants to call. Preller didn't want, I said this yesterday, Preller didn't want Bob Melvin to be the manager of this team next year. He was saying, yep, he's the manager. For now, he didn't include that part, but he's the manager. And he was waiting for the Giants to call and ask, Permission to talk with Bob Melvin. And when Preller saw that phone call from the Giants, he was probably smiling ear to ear. Yeah, you can go talk to Bob. Here, I'll, 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 here's his number. Here you go. Because they weren't agreeing. They're not on the same page. And Preller wants to bring in or promote, if it's Flaherty or Schilt, wants to promote a guy that he can tell what to do, is what it feels like. 
as an outsider here, that's what it feels like. And he wants to be able to have the ear of his manager. And he didn't have Bob Melvin's ear. Bob Melvin, seems pretty clear, did not want to be listening to A.J. Preller. And it was not good. A friendship, like A.J. Preller can say friendship to the meet and call it that and say they talk four or five times a day. Those probably weren't good conversations or they were probably text messages back and forth because they had to do it because of, you know, the job titles. But what, you think that they were just laughing on the phone five times a day? No, there's no way that that was what was actually happening. And it's also put here about Ryan Flaherty. Some in the organization would be more than content to choose a successor from within. Flaherty has been considered a future manager and favorite of Preller's. Schilt has made it known he is interested in managing again. Um, yeah, I'm just skimming through this article here. Almost from the start, Preller and Melvin clashed on communication, roster constructions, and other issues. Unfixable. And also in this article, it was put here, less than a year later after that NLCS run, as a contentious relationship festered and the Padres floundered in the standings, team executives at least considered the idea of letting Melvin go. So letting him go during the season. But the Padres, they don't want to have to pay him the $4 million for next year. And that would have been a terrible look. And Bob Melvin, or excuse me, A.J. Preller didn't want to fire Bob Melvin because that's a terrible look on him. Now, and as some Padre fans for some reason are buying, I'm seeing this on social media and some sometimes here in the YouTube comments, some are saying, screw Bob. He didn't want to be here. All right, then go. I don't want Bob here. And that's exactly what A.J. Preller wants you Padres fans to think. I didn't fire Bob. Bob doesn't want to be here. That's his fault. It's not my fault. That's his fault. You know, at the, at the Zoom conference, talking about how he doesn't, he doesn't put much stock, doesn't, you know, no credi credibility in those anonymous quotes, anonymous reports. Oh, I'm, I'm pretty sure he's taking stock into those anonymous reports. He knows. He reads everything. Of course he does. He hears everything. I mean, he admitted during the Zoom conference that he's on Twitter. Like, like he sees stuff on Twitter. <laughs> I don't know if it's him personally on a burner account or um, it's him looking at an assistant's phone or whatever. Probably has a burner account, I would imagine. And uh, maybe he's someone that was ripping Bob Melvin on a burner account. Who the heck knows? Who the heck knows with AJ Preller nowadays, right? But yeah, he didn't want to. He didn't want to fire AJ. Or he didn't want to fire Bob Melvin. What he wanted was this. He wanted to say, Bob's our manager. Make it seem like Bob's the guy that doesn't want to be here. And it's Bob's fault. And Bob wanted to go to the NLS, to another NLS team. He's, he wanted to give a middle finger to the Padres fans. No, that's not the case. Don't believe that. Preller could have given this guy an extension if you really wanted this guy to be here and you didn't want him talking with the Giants. Or you could have just denied it. They do have that right because he's under contract with the Padres, but none of those things happen. And so are these reports not credible anymore, AJ? Or are now they credible 
because Bob is talking with the Giants. I think we know the answer to that. All right. After this break, I want to get to the catcher season reviews. Gary Sanchez, Luis Camposano, Brett Sullivan, and Austin Nola. I want to tell you about the best and easiest way to play fantasy sports. It's underdog fantasy. They have great pick'em games and best ball tournaments. In pickup games, just pick higher or lower on two to five players' stats, and you can win up to 20 times your money in a single night. You can go cross-team, cross-league, and even cross-sport. Best ball revolves around the draft, which is what every fan loves the most about fantasy, and it eliminates the hassle of having to manage your roster all season long, resulting in a fun and easy fantasy product. How does it work exactly? You enter a contest where you participate in a snake draft against other users. That lineup that you drafted competes against every other draft in the entire contest. The better the combined performance of your team, the more money you win. After your lineup is all played, Underdog will take the best performing players and automatically set them as your starting lineup. That's it. No waivers, no trades, no worrying about who to start or sit. After you complete your draft, your part is done. Underdog Fantasy offers best ball in a variety of ways, including daily contests, weekly contests, playoff contests, and season-long contests. You can either enter into these and compete against thousands of other entrants for huge prizes, or if you'd like, you can enter into a private draft with friends and family to compete for a smaller prize pool. Underdog keeps it super simple with their easy-to-use website and mobile apps. Sign up now by clicking the link in the description or by using the promo code TALKINGFRIERS and you'll double your first deposit up to $100 in bonus cash when you make your first deposit of $10 or more. So if you deposit $100, you get $100 free. If you deposit $10, you get $10 free. All right, getting to the Padres catcher season reviews, let's start with Gary Sanchez, who was not the opening day catcher, obviously. He came in, was acquired, and this was kind of like a oh, good move by AJ, but it was kind of like a move where he had to do it because the Padres' catching situation at the time was really bad. Austin Nola, Luis Camposano got hurt. They needed more offense from that position. No doubt about that. So they took the, the flyer on Gary Sanchez, and I thought it ended up working out pretty well. Uh, a 1.7 F4. This is his, his entire 2023 season, but most of it was with the Padres. 75 games, 217 average, 288 on base percentage, a 492 slug, 111 weighted runs created plus, 33 runs scored, 47 runs driven in, and 19 home runs. Austin Nola was hitting 130 through May 30th. May 30th was when uh, Gary Sanchez was activated by the Padres. Remember, that was in Miami. And like right out of the gate, he was hitting home runs. And this was like, wow, I mean, this isn't going to hold up, but he is amazing. This was right when, I think this was right when they switched from Bally to MLB running the broadcast, right? And for those that had Cox, it was on your views on Channel 4, right? And some got the Padres only package. I remember it was that series in Miami. And so it was great. Padres, they have a a power-hitting catcher, a catcher that can hit home runs and not only hit home runs in Mexico where everyone 
hit home runs, you know? Um, 15 runs driven in by Gary, a 981 OPS through his first 13 games with the Padres. And with the New York Mets, that's not what was happening. Now, was he given as many consistent opportunities with the Mets as he did with the Padres? No, but you just weren't seeing it. And this was this was like the, oh, this was like Gary, Gary Sanchez back when he was with the Yankees, where power hitting, sure, does the defense need some work? Okay, but he was throwing out more guys than Austin Nola. Same thing with Luis Camposano, who I'll get to. Austin Nola just wasn't throwing anyone out. And Austin Nola wasn't bringing anything to this team. Like It was just time. And we'll get to him here in a little bit. Um, Sanchez's OPS was 865 in his final 23 games of 2023. Suffered the fractured wrist with the hit by pitch. That was another injury. Uh, but, you know, the Padres season, I think we already knew what the Padres season was going to be at that time. So, I mean, it sucks you obviously wanted Gary to play and they missed the playoffs by a couple games. So you could say, well, what if they had Gary Sanchez, Ben, would they have made the playoffs? And I guess that's a valid question, but, um, the team should have just been played. They, they should have just had more urgency. They should have just played better from the start. No doubt about that. And I mean, this kind of makes it worse. Like Gary Sanchez, who got DFA'd by the Mets, He's one of the, the, the guys that it seemed like maybe was going to save the Padres' season. Like, that's how much they needed him at that catching position. So, we'll see about the future of Gary Sanchez. I would like to have him back. Luis Camposano, Gary Sanchez have that catching duo again. I would like to see that. But I think Gary Sanchez will be tempted to go wherever Blake Snell goes. Because that relationship, Snell... Snell still pitched well after Gary Sanchez got hurt in September. He was just having an amazing season. I don't think he needs Gary Sanchez, but he had plenty of quotes to the media that, yeah, Gary Sanchez is helping me out. And he hit really well off of me. And so he helped me out in like what I, what are my problems? What are batters seeing? Um, and I think Snell's going to want Gary. And if Snell goes to a contender, who needs maybe maybe Gary's okay with being a backup catcher as long as he gets a pay raise and he can be on a contending team. Maybe he'd be fine with that. Would the Padres? What would it take for the? Would it take two years, twenty mil for Gary Sanchez? Is ten million dollars too much? Would it be two years, fourteen mil, seven mil a year? I'm curious to see what that will be with Gary. Because if they don't bring back Gary Sanchez, who are they going to bring in that are free agents? I don't know if Mitch Garver's a free agent. He might be. Uh, I don't think Christian Vasquez is. Martin Maldonado, he's with the Astros. Like He's just going to stay there probably until he retires. Who are the great catching options out there? Like Gary Sanchez stands out. And then after that, I think Yasmani Grandal might be a free agent, but he's past his prime. The, the catching options, they're not that great out there. So you're not bringing in someone like JT Romuto. <laughs> you know, that's just not out there. You need a stopgap. And we hope that the stopgap is the guy I'm going to talk about now, Luis Camposano, but he can't catch every day. And do Padres fans want Austin Nola to be catching the other days? 
he might not even be on the roster next year or in the organization. We'll see. I can talk about that here in a little bit. Do we want Brett Sullivan catching? I think we want a better option there. What I mean, what if Campy gets hurt? What's going to happen then, right? So, yeah, with with Gary Sanchez, I think it was a pleasant surprise what he did with the Padres. And it seems like he's comfortable here, likes playing here, but I'm sure he can be comfortable somewhere else if they give him a better deal than the Padres give him. Right. All right, getting to Luis Camposano, a 1.1 F4 in 2023, a 319 average, 49 games, 356 on base percentage, 491 slug, 134 weighted runs created plus. So that's 34% above league average. That's that's good. 27 runs scored, 30 runs driven in, and seven home runs hit. There were some some positives for sure from Luis Camposano's season. I mean, yeah, the, the negatives, I think a lot of it, it was kind of like Joe Musgrove. It involved the injuries and can't really control that. Like some of them were, I mean, it was a, what, a thumb injury? He was warming up Nick Martinez and hurt his thumb. He homered the next night, by the way. But little things like that, where it's like, you can't really control that. I mean, he was just warming up a pitcher and he, did he catch the ball wrong? Should Nick Martinez not throw hard during warmups? Like, it's just little fluky things like that. But there were, I mean, we saw Luis Camposano take steps forward this season. We were hearing it in spring training. Nola, Austin Nola, I pulled back, I uh, pulled up this quote from spring training that can't be working at things that you're not natural at. That's the hardest thing to do, Nola said about Campy. Campy's doing a good job of sticking with it. Props to him. Like we were, Campy was talking about how he feels more comfortable. And I think Mus, was it Musgrove? I want to say it was Musgrove that had a conversation with Camposano about how, hey, you, you got you to gotta be more comfortable, get more comfortable, you know, have relationships with these guys. These relationships are important. You got to open up here um, to have a better relationship and get closer with these guys. And I think that's what Musgrove said. Maybe it was someone else. But it seemed like Campy did that, and there were definitely positives. It, it seemed like there were more guys that were willing to throw to Luis Camposano this season than in past years. Wasn't it Blake Snell? Was it 2022 that he was like complaining about Luis Camposano and kind of hinting that, yeah, this guy's probably not ready yet and didn't really like working with Camposano? But then they worked together. Right at the end of the season, they did work together and it ended up working out fine. So, Campy clearly improved his game. And what a concept! The Padres gave one of their prospects, one of their young talents, gave him a chance at the big league level. They actually gave that guy an opportunity to fail and succeed, not just giving him 10 games, sporadic starts on a road trip and then sending him down like they have in the past. But no, actually giving him time and saying, you're splitting time with Gary Sanchez. You're you're a, you're an important piece to this Padres team. You're going to be catching. We need you. And offensively, there were some really good signs from Campy. And we saw power hitting over 300. I get it. It was less than 50 games. But we saw some positive things there. 
And I think Campy, if he keeps getting him continuing to get the opportunities, that's what's important here. It's right now he's the starting catcher of this team, as things stand right now. So if he keeps getting opportunities, I think he will be better. And he can be that stopgap between now and when Ethan Salas comes up. And then maybe be the mentor to Ethan Salas when Salas comes up and he can be the backup catcher and, you know, feel like that Austin Nola role. And what I mean by that is like being the veteran guy that is helping someone along, you know? Um, so, yeah, I was very encouraged. I'm I'm excited to see what Luis Camposano can do come next season. With Brett Sullivan, I mean, we knew he was not going to bring much offensively. It's kind of like Matthew Batten. Not going to bring much offensively. It's a guy that's here because of some injuries. Uh, but it seemed like Brett was communicating well with the pitching staff, and that was a main positive that I am taking away from Brett Sullivan in 2023. Uh, negative four point, excuse me, negative point four F four, 33 games, 210 average, 244 on base percentage, 284 slug, 46 weighted runs created plus, so terrible. Seven runs scored, six RBI, one home run. Like, not a power hitter. Not going to give you really anything offensively. But is he better than Austin Nola? I guess that's the question that the Padres have to ask. But I think the Padres should probably give Austin Nola an opportunity. So I'll kind of blend Nola and Sullivan together here, talking about both at the same time. Because Nola was disappointing in 2023. Didn't do anything offensively. One home run. 146 average and 130 at bats, 30 OPS plus, 70% below league average on OPS plus, but he's still under control through 2025. Multiple years of control. I think it's through 2025. Baseball reference says free agent in 2026. So does that mean after 2026, that season, or after 2025? Whatever. Multiple years of control. The Padres could, I guess, non-tender Austin Nola if they don't want to give him a few million dollars in his arbitration-eligible um, 2024 contract. But there's a risk there because what if you don't bring in Gary Sanchez again? You don't bring him back. And you have Brett Sullivan there. What if Campy gets hurt? Now Brett Sullivan's the starting catcher. Who is the other guy that you're bringing in? They have to make an addition, I would think, to the catching core right now whether that's just bringing back Gary or bringing in someone else. And I know they're trying to save money, but and Austin Nola doesn't give you a whole lot, but he is a vet, and I don't know if it's the, the fairest thing to do because you have to talk about Austin Nola's 2023 season, including what happened with the mental eye stuff, right, that came out in the middle of this season where it was probably, I think, after the All-Star break, where it came out in the UT about how he was dealing with, I don't know, was it a fog, mental fog? I don't have the, the story right in front of me. But he was dealing, like, he couldn't see great mental struggles is what it seems like. And I think a part of it was him getting hit in spring training, right? He had to exit on the cart. But he still fought through that and played on opening day. And he probably wasn't the same after that the entire season. And I believe he's playing in the Arizona Fall League. So, or he was playing in Peoria. I did see pictures on the internet about that. So 
good for him that he's back on the road to recovery and he's playing and obviously wishing the best for Austin Nola. Seems like a good teammate. Seems like a really good guy. Uh, but just offensively, we know he's not going to bring it offensively. And he's not throwing guys out. But A.J. Preller has had some track record of continuing to have these veteran guys on the roster because he values that. Or maybe he thinks the other players in the clubhouse value that. I mean, he's stuck with Matt Carpenter. He's stuck with Eric Hosmer. I know those are big. that's a big contract. Like That's a little bit different. He stuck with Nelson Cruz probably a little bit longer than he should have. So he does have that track record. So I'm not saying that Nola's going to be gone. But I wouldn't be surprised. Because if they're trying to save money, and he made two, a little less than two and a half mil last year, I don't think the salary's going to go down. That's not how it works. When you're arbitration eligible, your salary goes up. Even if you have poor, poor performance, your salary either like kind of stays the same or it goes up until you're a free agent, right? So do the Padres want to pay Austin Nola between two and a half, three million dollars for 2024 when he might just be in El Paso? You know, it's not a guarantee. I don't know. We'll see. Can't is this allowed? I'm not so sure if this is allowed, but they could maybe they could say we're gonna get we're not gonna non-tender him, but then they in spring training, they decide, hey, you're not going to be on the roster. And they, like, DFA him. And they see if another team will pick him up and try to have that team pick up the salary. I don't know. But I don't know how valuable other teams view Austin Nola to be. Like, they're they're seeing the same things that we are. The red flags, not bringing anything offensively. And we know, like, nowadays, it feels like teams... They value offense with the catching position more and more and more. Having Austin he- having an Austin Hedges on your team, I think it that's good. Like, if your starting catcher gets hurt, you can have a defense a really good defensive catcher as your backup. Not going to bring you anything offensively, but at least you have that option, right? But it's not like he throws a bunch of guys out, and. Sure, the pitching staff trusted him in 2022, and they trusted him more than anyone else going into this past season. But this pitching staff also has a lot more time with Luis Camposano, and they have more time with Brett Sullivan. And if Gary, if Gary comes back, they had time with Gary. So I'm not so sure about Austin Nola's future here with this Padres organization. And as for Brett Sullivan, he's still going to be in the organization. Worst case, you could put him in El Paso, and have him be there in case an injury happens. I think the ideal catching uh, duo for 2024 is Gary and Campy. And whoever is playing better, that's the starting catcher. But with Gary, I feel like there might be a team that's willing to pay him more than the Padres would be willing to pay him to be their catcher or be a backup catcher. Because you look at some of the other catching duos that are in the postseason right now. You look at the Phillies with Romuto, and is it Knapp? Is he the backup catcher with the Phillies? Seems like they're pretty good there. The Braves, I know they got bounced, but Darno and Murphy, I think we'd all sign up for that catching combination. Um, you look at the uh, not the Phillies, um, the D-backs. I mean, they got Gabby Moreno, 
I know he's gotten nicked up a little bit. The Astros, they've got Maldonado. So there's a mix of, I know I said duos. I'm not bringing up all the duos. Here, I'll bring up the, the Astros roster. Who is the Astros backup catcher? But my point is, it's not, I guess my point's not really about the duos, but it's like they have a really solid option there. And Campy could be the Padres' really solid option. I mean, we saw the offense. He could be that guy. But he does have a little bit of an injury history as well. Yainer Diaz is the Astros' backup catcher. And Martin Maldonado has a lot of experience in the big leagues. And I think the Padres, they, they want to have someone that has experience in the big leagues being at least on the staff as the backup to Campy, maybe. They probably want to do that, and so maybe that's how Austin Nola stays if they can't bring back Gary Sanchez. We'll see what happens. It's another question. The catching position is another question mark. There's the manager now. We got starting pitching, bullpen, first base DH, outfield, bench depth, catching. There's a lot of questions about this Padres team, so... We'll see what happens there. But those are my season reviews for those four catchers. And now I want to get to some other San Diego sports. What happened around San Diego sports this past weekend? Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. I did a separate video on this, so you can go check out that video. Um, but for my immediate reaction from Saturday night when the Aztecs lost, but they lose six to nothing to Nevada. Jalen Maiden throws for less than 50 yards. He's the leading Aztecs rusher. They have like no offense right now. And I'm sorry, you go listen to Brady Hoke post game in his press conference. You're not getting a whole lot of positivity out there. I, I'm, I, I, I did not go away from that post-game press conference like, oh, wow, things are going in the right direction. He knows what to fix. I didn't really get that. And there's a lot of people that are calling for Brady Hoke's job. Fire Brady Hoke. Needs to go. And I definitely understand that. Like, things are not good with this football pro program right now. Things are not trending in the right direction. You lost 
six nothing, you get shut out. Nevada wanted you to win that game. You get shut out by a team that hadn't won a game since the second game of last freaking season. And there's like no one in the stadium. I was reading the UT and they said like 20,000 people were there or something like that. Uh, what, at kickoff maybe? But third, fourth quarter, it looked like there was like 5,000, 10,000 people there. There were pictures from inside Snapdragon Stadium from fans that were pissed off looking at the crowd. It's like there's no one there. Well, the Aztecs, they keep having tickets be 70 bucks for the upper deck. No one's going to go for that. It's not going to happen. So they've got to change that. And Brady Hoke, him being fired, like that's a, it's a little more complicated because San Diego State, they don't have as much money as Alabama or USC where they can just have boosters pay for someone's contract and just fire that guy and bring in someone else on a $80 million contract. Um, with Brady Hoke, he's under contract through 2027, I think, or through 2026. And I think the buyout is actually more expensive than what his contract is. I think I remember reading something in the UT about that earlier this season. He's one of the lower-paid Mountain West He's not one of the top-paid Mountain West coaches. His buyout's actually pretty high, but the his salary is not. So that makes it complicated. Does J.D. Wicker believe that Brady Hoke can turn this thing around? Is is there a strong recruiting recruiting class coming in that I'm not? I don't know about. I'm not. I'm not going to sit here and act like I know a ton about the the upcoming recruiting classes for San Diego State. But just just sitting here. If I was an athlete, why would I want to go to San Diego State the way things are right now? If I have, maybe that's your only offer. Or if you're a hometown kid, then it makes sense. But if you're not a hometown kid, why would you want to go play for San Diego State right now? If you have an op- if you have an offer from a, a better program, maybe it could be playing time as well. But it's not. It doesn't seem like there's NIL deals, you know, coming in, you know. NIL deals aren't raining down like from other programs Would you, where you just go there and they will set you up. That doesn't seem like to be the case with San Diego State. Sure, there's some NIL deals, possibilities, and I believe there's Aztec Link that some alumni are running, but it's, it's just different. And yeah, San Diego State's not in a good spot. They have to win three of their last four games just to be bowl eligible. So yeah, this season... I mean, you open a new stadium, Snapdragon Stadium, and it's it's supposed to be your stadium. And I know it's their stadium, but you sh- you needed to get off to a better start than this. If you wanted to sell tickets, right, you're, you're elevating ticket prices because, well, it's not the queue anymore. You're elevating the prices, 70 bucks for upper deck when you're facing an 0-6 team and you're, you have a losing record. You just lost four games in a row before beating Hawaii on the road. Um, you know, last season they come in and they underperform. And then this year, they, they're not a good team. So it probably couldn't have got off to a worse start. Snapdragon Stadium, San Diego State football at Snapdragon Stadium. There's other things that are positive. The concerts, MLS coming, that will bring in more money for Snapdragon Stadium and the university. San Diego Wave, obviously. Playoff game coming up. U.S. Women's National Team's coming in this coming weekend. Can't wait for that. U.S. men's national team. I know it wasn't the A squad, but they came in. Man United and Wrexham. Um, there was Borussia Dortmund and Loyal played a friendly. Like, there's been positives about Snapdragon Stadium. But 
San Diego State football, it's not their stadium. It's not viewed as their stadium right now. It's San Diego Wave Stadium. It is. They're the ones that are selling out that place. They're the ones that are averaging over 20,000 fans every game. They're the ones that have sold out the stadium for non-playoff games. Like they're, they're the ones that are making fans want to come to Snapdragon Stadium. San Diego State football is not making fans want to come to Snapdragon Stadium. So that's got to change. All right, then San Diego Loyal, a crushing end to this franchise. I was watching this match. I watched the entire match on ESPN Plus last night. And I absolutely loved how loud Torero Stadium was. San Diego Loyal was down. They got an early lead, and everything was going well. Then it was tied. There were mistakes from San Diego Loyal, but the crowd kept it going all night long, and they've got to be proud of that. And when San Diego Loyal, and I'm going I'm to get into this match here, but when San Diego Loyal got eliminated and they lost there an extra time, you know, Darren Smith on the broadcast describing Nate Miller. He was crouched down, you know, just really sad there on that sideline. They, were, I didn't see it, but what they were showing on the screen were other players just, you know, sitting down, laying down on the pitch. Just, they were done. They were exhausted. They were sad that this was coming to an end. They knew what this game meant to the city, what it meant for their careers, what it meant to San Diego Loyal. Like, this is the end of the franchise. And I think a lot of people were stunned at that ending because it happened so quick. But here's how it went down. Ronaldo Damus, he tried his best. Hat trick for him. Scored in the fourth minute. Scored in the 25th minute. And then a penalty kick in stoppage time. It looked like San Diego Loyal, like this was a roller coaster game. It looked like they were going to be done in regulation. They were down 3-2. It looked like that was it. But they got the penalty kick. They got the foul inside the box. Was it a foul? Or did it deem that? I'm not so sure. It, it seemed like a little light, but as a San Diego Loyal fan, supporter, as a San Diegan, I'm not going to go complaining about that. And, and Thomas gets the penalty kick. But yeah, it was just a roller coaster. And Senegal Loyal was playing better as the match progressed there. At the end, in extra time, it looked like they had more in the tank than Phoenix did. But Phoenix, it felt like they were waiting for that second extra time period because it wasn't sudden death. There was the first 15-minute extra time, then the second 15-minute extra time, and they were waiting for that to really go all out. And it happened so quick. It was at the end of extra time. Nate Miller was preparing for penalty kicks, the order of penalty kicks and the strategy. And all of a sudden, there's no penalty kicks and your franchise, not the season, the season and the franchise is over. And you had Ricardo Campos and Andrew Vasiliadis, two huge people in that club. And Ricardo Campos, obviously now with San Diego FC, who had their event on Friday night, their uh, reveal party, which we already knew about the crest and all that. Manny Machado showed up and all that. 
Still not a big fan of the crest. I think they could have done better. San Diego Loyal, I think they had a great crest. And I still maintain that San Diego Loyal should have been the MLS franchise. But money talks, right? Especially for MLS and for San Diego State and Snapdragon Stadium, obviously. Uh, but yeah, this two, Andrew Vasilianis, a San Diegan, Ricardo Campos, two big people who had four years of this club and was running, were running this club, and Landon Donovan and Nate Miller. And, you know, they're on the field after the game, Campos and Vasiliadis, and probably going through memories of this club and how much work was put into this club and the sadness, but also the happiness of what, hap- what they built, what they were able to build, the community that they were able to build. And lights go off, and just like that, franchise is done and it's sad I'm not going to lie sitting there on the couch last night when I see that goal go in in extra time tears weren't going down my face but I was getting emotional and I it's not like I went to all the loyal matches and I was a diehard loyal supporter from day one I wasn't but I became one when I got more into soccer and especially, you know, reading the stories from the fans and from Vasiliadis and his background. And like this team didn't deserve this. They should not be done. This club should not be done. But, uh, and you know, people can bring up that, oh, they just couldn't get a stadium, long-term stadium. Well, no, part of it was MLS is coming in. And they were already losing money. Coming in during COVID, that was a terrible, that was just terrible timing. And they just weren't going to be able to be sustainable. And they weren't going to be bringing in as much money as they were when this MLS club came in. I don't think. And you add that, and San Diego Wave's not the problem here, but that's another team that's in here. And you add the Padres, and I don't want to put San Diego State in that because of how they're doing right now, but if they're good, there's just a lot of competition, and it just wasn't going to happen. I said this months ago. Like, San Diego Loyal, they should have become the MLS team. They should be rewarded. Landon Donovan should be able to run this or be the, the manager. He should have a role in this MLS team. It shouldn't have happened like this. Okay, maybe someone like Mohamed Mansour comes in, but they should have allowed San Diego Loyal. They should have, uh, maybe they did, and we just don't know, but should have offered Andrew Vasiliadis because Loyal wasn't going to work out, offer him a minority stake in this franchise, allow him to help this franchise. Because San Diego Loyal, I'll tell you this, they know what they're doing. They They built the community. They cared about the community. You want a blueprint on how to succeed? I mean, San Diego Loyal was great, I thought. And San Diego Loyal supporters, let me know your thoughts in the comments about this club folding and how sad you are. What was your favorite moment of San Diego Loyal? They never won a playoff game, but they they created something there at Torero Stadium. And the fans went nuts last night. They were going nuts all night. There were some, sure, there were some quiet times, but really those times came 
for a brief moment when everyone realized, oh, we're done. That goal is scored an extra time. That's it. And it was scored like the last moments before the whistle blew. That's it. Just like that. But then there was the standing ovation for the players. So props to you, San Diego Loyal supporters. You guys did great. This franchise, I think, made San Diego proud. They had a good crest. They embraced the community. They cared. They did stuff with Rady Children's and things that weren't just publicized, but they just did things from the kindness of their hearts. And again, it, it should not be happening like this. And I hope that MLS will give opportunities. San Diego FC will give opportunities to San Diego Loyal employees. People that, you know, put their heart and soul into this because I think that's only what's right. But, yeah, just where I'm at right this, where I'm at about this is it's just sad to see a franchise fold that cared so much about the San Diego community and had a backing. And it seemed like it was only growing. But, you know, money, money talks. And... MLS is coming in here. I'm going to root for the MLS team. Like, I'm Team San Diego. That's going to be my men's soccer team. That's going to be my men's football team to root for. Um, but, you know, Loyal was my team, my men's team. You know, that and the, the U.S. men's national team, I guess. Um, and now we're going to have to wait for men's soccer. And what I would say is put all your support into San Diego Wave. This playoff run, this next season, this is our San Diego club, the San Diego Wave. So put all that energy, that put that into San Diego Wave. Come support San Diego Wave. Come yell. Come be with your best friends at Snapdragon Stadium supporting San Diego Wave. They care about the community. As someone that works for them, they care about the community. And Hopefully they thrive here. They keep building this fan base. And then when MLS comes around, there's another team that we can support. You know, we can't control what happened here. I just hope that, you know, San Diego Loyal is remembered as, okay, this was a big stepping stone to getting MLS, to making San Diego known as, you know, a, a soccer town. Obviously the Padres are big, but it's a soccer town too. So. It was it was a bad it was a bad ending, um, not the ending that you wanted. Again, didn't want a playoff game in the club's history. There were some things that it's it's what ifs. Like man, what if, what if there wasn't the bad the, the dumb penalty in the box that created an easy penalty kick for Phoenix Rising, you know? But then we could say, well, what if Phoenix didn't commit that penalty in the box where Damas was able to score? and put it into extra time? What if there was some communication, better communication between the defense uh, with Koke Vegas, um, where that ball went in between his legs and into the net for an easy goal? What if there was better communication there? You know, there's what ifs all over the place. And another what if is just about the future of the franchise. What if MLS came in and, you know, realized what San Diego Loyal would have, what they built? And what if they would have, allowed San Diego Loyal to, you know, benefit from it directly and become the, the MLS franchise. Sad ending, sad ending. But again, San Diego Loyal should be proud 
of what they built. No doubt about that. All right. So that's going to do it. Talking for hours, episode 498. Thank you all so much for watching on YouTube, listening on the podcast platforms. Reminder, SeatGeek code Talking Friars, $20 off your order there. BreakingT.com, some great San Diego sports swag there. Padres, Aztecs, Wave. Click the link in the description. Same thing for FOCO. Some great Padres bobbleheads and collectibles. Replacements for Bob Melvin. Catcher season reviews. Some other San Diego sports topics. That was what was covered here, episode 498. I'll see you, I'll see you all later. Have a great rest of your day. Thank you so much for the support. See you all later. <laughs>